Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Just connect the dots in front of them and behind them. See where they're going and where they might have been and find a way to create value, find a way to bridge those dots. Best ever listeners, before today's episode, I want to invite you to join us in Keystone, Colorado, February 20th through 22nd. It is the 2020 Best Ever Conference. And not only do I want to invite you to join us, I want to invite you to earn 15% for every ticket that you're responsible for selling should you join as an affiliate for the conference. Great way to earn money. And also, if you're planning on attending, great way to pay for your ticket, essentially. You get enough sales. So you can go to BEC20.com. And in the top left corner, it says earn 15% as an affiliate. You can click that, join the affiliate program, and you got all the resources that you need to share the good word about the Best Ever Conference in Keystone, Colorado. And we will be talking more about this on future episodes. But for now, go check out BEC20.com and that affiliate page. You can earn 15% as an affiliate, and we will see you in Keystone, Colorado. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of the fluffy stuff. With us today, Jamil Damji. How you doing, Jamil? I'm awesome. How are you, Joe? I am awesome as well and looking forward to our conversation. A little bit about Jamil. He specializes in wholesaling and in fact, he wholesales 70 plus deals a month in one market and that market is Phoenix, Arizona. So with that being said, Jamil, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Absolutely. Thank you so much for the introduction, Joe. So yes, my name is Jamil Damji. I am one of the owners and uh, co-founder of Keegley, spelled K-E-Y-G-L-E-E. We are a wholesale operation based out of Phoenix, Arizona. Our goal is to be the largest volume wholesaler in the country. I think we've hit that at this point right now, but we're always hearing of and learning of new cats in the space that are crushing it, and we welcome them. Okay, your goal is to be the largest volume wholesaler in the country. Why not have a goal of having the highest margin wholesaling company in the country, not be focused as much on volume? Well, that's a great question. And I think in terms of margins versus volume, we've definitely seen margins shrink. I think the reason why we're more of a volume-based versus a margin-based operation is because of our focus. So typically, wholesale companies are very strategically focused on acquisitions. 
And because of that, many operations in and around our state and other states as well, they're lacking in their dispositions or their capacity to sell their deals. So what that's created in the wholesale space is some gray area, obviously, right? You hear of wholesalers locking deals up, not performing on those obligations and creating all kinds of havoc for sellers and expectations in terms of their time and what they thought was going to happen in the deal. And because of that, wholesaling has been given some blemishes. So what we saw a few years ago when we entered the space was we would show up to a buy appointment with a seller and there'd be 10 other people there for the same appointment. And that was driving the prices up. But what we were also finding happening were those deals weren't closing. So these wholesalers were going in, they were tying these deals up and then just not performing on them. And that set off a light bulb in our heads to realize that, well, maybe if we focused on being able to connect with more qualified buyers who could take those deals, we'd be able to add value to the space. And that's exactly what we did. So we focused our operation on building out a really heavy dispositions, a product where other wholesalers will bring us their deal. We'll evaluate it based off its investment worthiness. And if it's a deal we feel we want to put resources behind in terms of manpower to market and sell, then we'll option the deal and go to town and sell it. So great question, Joe. I love that you got right to the meat of it because that doesn't allow us to have very high margins just in the sense of our model being more of a service for other wholesalers than going and buying super deep. Very interesting. Okay. Well, there's money to be made in every type of business, that's for sure, from the Walmart to the Neiman Marcuses. So when you are partnering with other wholesalers, what type of joint venture structure do you have with them? Typically, we work off of an option. The reason why we do an exclusive option is, first of all, it protects us from our seller or our partner not then performing on the option or not saying afterwards, hey, look, I don't want to sell this deal anymore. We've gone and spent time marketing it. So in order for us to gain equitable title and marketable title for us to then shop to our buyers list, we use the instrument of an option. And for someone who's not familiar with how the mechanics of that works, can you elaborate? Absolutely. So a part of wholesaling is marketing your contract. Your contract is your purchase contract when you go to buy a property, be it a house or a building. And that, if you're the principal on that deal, gives you some opportunity and you can actually market that contract to people to essentially purchase from you. But in order to do that, you need to have that purchase contract. Now, us being a third party, not the original party to that first purchase contract, in order for us to be able to send this deal out to our buyers list, we need to have what's called an option. And that option is basically an option to purchase. So we are then optioning to purchase that contract from the original contract holder. And through that instrument, we now have the legal right to market that contract or that property. And then how are they compensated versus how you're compensated? Typically just assignment. So our seller or our deal supplier or JV partner, however you want to phrase that, will bring us a deal. We'll option it from them. And then once we find a buyer, so if we're successful in finding a buyer, which nine times out of 10 we are, we will then turn around to our partner and exercise the option. So that exercising of an option would then trigger an assignment to be drawn up between ourselves and our deal supplier. So we would then convert the option to an assignment. So our original contract holder would receive an assignment fee at closing. Now we're the contract holder. So then we would then assign our rights 
to the end buyer. So typically we're talking about HUDs that show two assignment fees, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yep. So let's talk about a typical deal or maybe even better, a specific deal and what the wholesaler who brought it to you made and how much you made. Awesome. So I'll give you an example of a deal we just did yesterday. So a wholesaler in town brought us a deal in Tempe, Arizona, a great little city in our spot here. It was a hoarder house, so not financeable to the retail public, just completely trashed on the inside, a lot of deferred maintenance, potential mold, biohazard, you know, the whole nine, right? Your nightmare property. So the newer wholesaler goes and contracts the property for $200,000. Mm -hmm. And we see ARV, so after repair value on that property, to be somewhere in the 330-ish range. So he has a good buy. At 200, he has a good buy. So he tried unsuccessfully for about two and a half weeks to sell that deal and sent it out to a few buyers. He posted on Craigslist. He went on Facebook. He tried and tried, was unsuccessful, brought the deal to us. We optioned it from him at 220000 So his potential profit would be 20K. We then marketed it to our buyer pool at 235,000. We were successful yesterday in finding a buyer. So our buyer opened escrow. We then converted our assignment with our supplier. So he's going to make $20,000 at close. We'll make $15,000 at close. And our buyer is extremely happy because he has a new property in his inventory to go and flip. Wow. In that example, about how much do you think it would take to turn that puppy around and get that property moving ready? So the beauty about hoarder houses is they look a lot worse than they are. So I would say just based off of square footage, because we're seeing cosmetic remodels coming in at around $25 a square foot, typically right across the United States right now. So that's not including biohazard or not including structural problems. So this is just straight up cosmetics. So I imagine based off square footage, that property is going to cost around $30,000 to renovate, probably another $5,000 in cleanup and biohazard. So Mm -hmm. about 35K total. Okay. Yeah. So they're still going to have easy 50,000 in equity. Okay. Well, it's an interesting model. So really the reason why you all are having the success you are is because you're a place that has access to a bunch of people who have money. So you have qualified buyers. So if a wholesaler has a deal but doesn't have the list to get that deal closed, then they come to you or you also find your own deals and then share them out with qualified buyers, right? Absolutely. So we source our own deals. I'd say in a month, if we'll do anywhere between 70 and 90 houses. So out of that, 10 to 15 of them will be our own source deals. So that just kind of tells you it's not a big portion of what we do. Cool. Yeah, I was going to ask that. So thanks for mentioning that. So let's talk about how you built the qualified buyer list. Awesome. Since that's the key. So how did you do that? So we like to think of ourselves more of a technology and data company than we are a real estate company, although that's what we trade in, right? So what we did is we really focused in on looking at the buyer profile. So what type of buyer have wholesalers been typically going after and then trying to find the periphery around that? And those were a lot of fancy words I'll get into more detail about. So your average fix and flip buyer, they want to come in, buy the property, dirt cheap, completely run down, turn it, make a profit and make 30 to $50,000. Well, there's also a lot of buyers out there that are just interested in cash flow and equity. So we deal with 
hedge funds, we deal with REITs, we deal with portfolio owners, and they will pay actually a higher dollar price than your average rehabber. So what we do in terms of our capacity to build that list is a lot of outreach. So we're looking at buyer profiles, we're looking at social media accounts, we're looking at Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and just assessing a person's capacity to potentially be a real estate investor. And I'll give you an example of what I mean by that. So if you're on Facebook and we noticed that in your profile picture, Joe is standing in front of a Ferrari. He also likes Rolex and he also likes the DuPont registry. So now we've got some factors here that show us that you might have access to disposable income. Or you might be the kind of person that would gain access to disposable income. So what we'll do is we'll send an outreach message. Typically, that's just an introduction, introducing our company, introducing outreach on Facebook. Yeah, it would be on Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Correct. Correct. So we'll reach out through either social or we'll try to find an email account through a skip trace service. And once we have made that initial outreach, not everybody responds. A lot of people just ignore the message, but a good 30% of folks will actually respond because what we have to offer to a person who is in the business, who is like yourself, for instance, I know that you invest in apartments and syndications, right? So if I was to find a multifamily property or have access to a multifamily property, that would be a great value add opportunity for you. If one of my outreach or one of my intake specialists sent you a message and said, look, our business is identifying distressed property in the multifamily space. Would you be interested in talking about or seeing some of our deals? There's a high likelihood that you're going to answer yes. You're going to very quickly look at what we have to offer and suss out if you think we're a waste of time or not. But that at least starts the conversation. Is that what the message basically says is, hi, we're such and such, and would you be interested? We're such and such. Our company specializes in finding distressed property that has some great equity potential or potential value add opportunities. It looks like you could be a potential real estate investor. And if you are, we'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to opt into our list, you can do so here or you can respond and we can carry the conversation further. And that's essentially what that message says. What tools do you use to identify the audience that you're reaching out to initially? Searches. So on Instagram, hashtags are awesome. So we'll look at AZ doctor, AZ lawyer, AZ accountant. We look at high value professions and we work from there. So we go vertical and lateral in our searches. So we'll look at this profession has a higher likelihood of having higher net worth individuals. And then once they've exhausted that category, they'll start a new one. So searches on social media, hashtags, Facebook groups. Also, when we're looking at Facebook, who you've liked, what commonalities we have. So our Facebook accounts that we have for our intake specialists, they've all liked those Ferrari, Rolls Royce, Lamborghini. And so when there's a shared like between two individuals, that's made known to you as a Facebook user. So if you like Rolex and I like Rolex and you and I are potential friends, when I come to your page and add you as a friend or try to message you, I'm going to be notified some way on Facebook that you and I both like Rolex. Mm -hmm. And so that's going to tell me that this is a man who understands timepieces. You might potentially then be a real estate investor. Again, we're taking leaps here. Sure. But we're looking at commonalities that we see in the space and then moving from there. Do you have people doing individual searches or is there some sort of software that you use? Both. So it starts off with a software that we created 
where we'll sift through and we look for specific types of images. But once that's all kind of filtered down, then it's actually a human being doing the rest of that. So we filter through a lot through bots and our own software. And then once we get into actually doing the outreach, that's when it's a person. Okay. So your software identifies the list of people and then your people do the outreach. Correct. And when the software identifies the list of people, does it give you the Facebook URL or does it give you the person's name and then your human being has to go search for that person's name? How does that look? Depending on the uh, social platform. The social platform, exactly. So on Facebook, it's a name. On Instagram, it's a handle. LinkedIn is a little more difficult and I don't know the exact procedures because I personally haven't done any of the LinkedIn outreach, but I know we do really well on it. They've just got so many more filters and so many more ways to kind of protect people from communication. It's LinkedIn's way, right? But again, we are a real business doing real things. So we're not blocked from communicating. We just have to go through a couple more steps. Do you all pay LinkedIn, for example? Do you pay for their extra services where you can send a whatever that LinkedIn message is that's sponsored or gets to people's inbox? I would imagine that a few of our accounts do, yes. Okay, got it. What's something that you all have done that did not work when trying to build a qualified buyers list? (laughs) The one fail that I could really look at was when you're looking at real estate, it's tough to just go in and say, okay, if you have purchased a property before with cash, and that's like the go-to for everybody in our space, right? So they'll go check tax records. And they'll say, okay, these people all purchased in cash. So these people would be real estate investors. That was probably one of our biggest fails because we went into a new market in Las Vegas and we tried just searching through tax records and the usual data sources to build our buyers list. And we found our conversion rates were just dismal. So for us, what we saw was really working was going outside of the box. So not going strategically to, look, I'm going to go find cash buyers and reach out to cash buyers or people who have purchased in cash before, but finding guys on the periphery, finding people who really haven't entered the space yet. I think that's where we gained our most success, but doing the opposite is where we had our biggest failure. Based on your experience as a real estate investor and entrepreneur, what's your best real estate investing advice ever? Do it. I got involved in wholesaling because I I saw a need. These home builders were looking for these specific types of properties, and I knew that they were having a hard time finding them. So instinctively, I thought, well, maybe I should call these people who have for rent properties in these neighborhoods and see if they might be potential sellers. And just kind of trying to connect the dots. I think we overthink how hard it is to make money in this business. So there's all kinds of people selling coaching programs for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's great for them. But I think that For your average person who wants to get involved and is really desperately trying to find a niche in real estate, I think they need to look at the space, just connect the dots in front of them and behind them, see where they're going and where they might have been, and find a way to create value, find a way to bridge those dots. And the best thing that you can do is take action and make mistakes, right? If you're not taking some action and if you're not making mistakes, you're not learning, I think it's just time that people stop talking about what they want to do and just take the first step. If you take the first step, it's amazing how the world opens itself up for you. What were you doing prior to founding this company? I was in Los Angeles trying to be a comedian. 
Oh, I, there we go. I didn't expect that. Yes, yes. So I know we have something in common. I check you out a little bit, Joe. <laughs> so I did a little homework. But just use one of your bots. I, <laughs> I didn't. I actually did it myself. But, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> but I was an improviser. And so I spent years in Los Angeles writing sketches, performing at UCB, and trying that out. I think it did a lot for me in terms of confidence. It did a lot for me personality-wise and just being able to be light-hearted. And really to like play games with things. So that's what I was doing prior to this. It's a complete 180. Which is not anything related to tech and data. So one of your co-founders. Yeah, one of my co-founders brought to the table some great technological skills and really innovative thinking. I have always been a great connector. I connect with people well. I network very well. So I kind of stumbled into this space. And while in this space, I, I looked around and saw people just thriving. And because of that, I engulfed myself into the model and talked to and connected with as many people as I could. So what I brought to the table when we founded the company was just a network of individuals who were already doing business with me. So plugging that network into the systems that my other partners brought to the table is what allowed us explosive growth. Wow, I love it. How many qualified buyers do you all have? We're probably pushing around 80,000 at this point. Holy smokes. When you send out an email to them, what's the open rate? We're at about 30% right now. So we've had some times when it was low. We had moments where we were down to like 12% and our bottom line was suffering for it tremendously. But through better engagement and just having more conversations with our buyers, our staff is constantly on the phone, constantly reaching out and communicating with these qualified buyers. So that communication and building those relationships is what's creating that open rate. That and also knowing what time of day do you send your blast out at, right? So we see an 8% differential between sending a blast out at 10 a.m. versus 1 p.m. Which one's better? 1 p.m. 1 p.m. Arizona time? 1 p.m. Arizona time, correct. Okay. 4 p.m. Eastern time, right? You're right. Are you mountain or are you? you... We're mountain. We're mountain. So yeah, you guys. 3 p.m. Got it. Okay, cool. That's interesting stuff. With that list, what do you send them, if anything, other than a new deal? Nothing. Strictly deals. Strictly deals. That's what they've opted in for. I know we're sitting on a gold mine of data. It's one of those things that I'm sure there's going to be a point where we figure out how to monetize it beyond what we're doing right now. But at this point, we're just focused on wholesale deals. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do it. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, go to BEC20.com. Look in the top left-hand corner. You can earn 15% as an affiliate. You can join the affiliate program and participate in the conference that way and basically earn a free ticket to the conference, BEC20.com. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. All right, best ever book you've recently read? The Autobiography of a Yogi. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? Not having the original seller's initial on one page. What happened as a result of that? We didn't have a valid contract and they were able to resell to somebody else at a higher price. Best ever deal you've done? 
a land deal in Chandler, Arizona. I bought the land for a million dollars and we sold it for 2.6. What's the best ever way you like to give back? I really like driving around and handing out cash to homeless people, not in a way that's for social media or for anyone's benefit, but I just like to get out, connect to people, see what's going on in their life, shake their hands, give them some money. I'm not doing it in judgment. I'm just doing it because I care. And how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing and get involved with your company? You can find me on Instagram at at J-D-A-M-J-I. You can learn about our company. We actually teach our model. So if you went to www.astroflipping.com slash Jamil, you can find out how to learn what we do. And if you just want to buy our deals, go to www.keeglyhomes.com. And if you want to sell us your house, go to www.keegley.com. What's Keegley? How'd you come up with that? Give us your keys and we'll make you happy. <laughs> it's pretty uh, simple. <laughs> all right. I uh, yeah. that coming. Well, <laughs> I'm I surprised because you, you should have been able to catch a bad pun. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I like it. I like that. And it's glee. It's not like happy or excited. I like the word glee. And I think the word glee is not used enough in the English language. So thank you for doing it more. Well, Jamil, thank you for being on the show talking about your company's business model how you've gotten success being the wholesaler's wholesaler and how you partner up with wholesalers specifically on the JV side, what a deal looks like, and then how you've built your qualified buyer list just through software and then also through manual outreach. So thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. I hope you have the best ever day. We'll talk to you again soon. Awesome. Thanks so much. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.